back to another episode of Green Jeans. I am your one co-host, Annika Van Rossum, and my pronouns are she, her, and I'm joined by my other co-host. Maya Van Rossum, and my pronouns are also she, her. And if you haven't joined us before, we are a podcast that talks about environmental activism, social justice issues through a generational lens, because many of the problems that my mom has been fighting and her colleagues and people have been raising the alarm bells about many, many years ago are still a problem today for my generation. So we're just tackling issues like that. And while we talk about a lot of serious stuff, we also make sure that at the end of it, you find hope to be your own activist in your own way for our planet. So Annika, I was um, working to um, prepare some testimony in support of an advancing green amendment in another state and just thinking through some poignant thoughts and different ways to encourage people to think about the power and importance of environmental protection and environmental activism and looking for inspiring quotes from people in history that could help inspire others to get involved. And you know, we recently did a, a show on vegetarianism. And in that context, we talked a little bit about what happens with the animals when they're at a farm. And I saw this quote and it just sort of struck a chord because we had just done that show. So rather than do a fact check, we're gonna, who did this quote check? <laughs> so I'm being um, quizzed. You're being quizzed. So God. here we go. Um, because you know, people think that social activism and environmental activism are sort of in two different silos and they're not, they're together. They're very much part and parcel of the same, which is why we talk about both. And today's show is gonna be demonstrating that. But anyway, here's the quote. Quote, never, never be afraid to do what's right, especially if the well-being of a person or animal is at stake. Society's punishments are small compared to the wounds we inflict on our soul when we look the other way, end quote. Who said that? Oh, I don't know. Martin Luther King Jr. Wow. Yeah, he has many power related to the environment. And, um, you know, I've seen them throughout my career and always been inspired by them. And then again, saw that quote and just thought about how, you know, we were talking about the power of, standing up for the environment, standing up, also standing up for the animals when they're suffering. And so it resonated with me and I just wanted to do that instead of a fact check because I was really inspired by that quote. I think that's great. I love that. That's, yeah, I didn't, because I think too many people don't talk about Martin Luther King and also, you know, being someone who stands up for the environment does just go to show like, you never know. And I think that's really great and that's really powerful. And it's a great segue, actually, also into today's guests. Today's guests, only one guest, today's guest, who um, is a teacher. And amongst the things that our teacher teaches is social studies and history. Um, and so uh, I think that looking to powerful leaders in history who rise up for social justice, but also the environment and environmental justice and animal protection is also very appropriate for the teacher to come. So is our guest with us, Annika? Yes. So we are welcoming to the show today's teacher who's actually gonna talk with us about some of the challenges that are faced in this modern current era um, where we really are seeing a backlash against teachers and education and um, critical race theory and all kinds of things, book bannings. So it seemed really appropriate to have a teacher join us to talk about some of these challenges um, to being a teacher today. So we're going to welcome David Wood, who happens to be my husband, Annika's bonus dad, my son Fim's dad. So Dave, welcome to the show. Tell us your pronouns and tell us what kind of teacher are you? Hi, well, thanks for having me. My name is David Wood, as she said. And my pronouns are his, him, and I'm a teacher of social studies in Pennsylvania, which is, yeah, you sort of have to say where you're from at this point, because things are so different around the country. And, you know, things are coming up almost on a daily basis that slam teachers, 
um, from wherever they are, are teaching. Uh, and it's, you really have to pay attention state to state. So what are the kind of challenges or you, you know, you sort of, well, you said that you face kind of a backlash as a teacher. What are the kinds of things that you are hearing about experiencing um, that are being thrown out, thrown out at you in terms of how you can or should be teaching about politics, about science, about the environment, about teaching about race and true history? Well, the district I am in is, um, they've been pretty open as a district to allowing teachers to teach how we want to. And we have a, we have a fair amount of, of academic freedom as far as what we teach in the classroom. Not many restrictions on what we teach. The restrictions are coming more from the community and to the point where I, I know that this year there's been a big move uh, from the right about book, book banning. And that's led to a lot of concerns about other things that have come up. Um, I, I know that I attended a school board meeting earlier in the year where I had a verbal altercation with a community member about teaching in the classroom. And uh, the community member felt that we shouldn't share political views in the classroom. And I think it's almost impossible as a teacher of social studies to do that successfully and be genuine with students without sharing political views. So I think one of the, Dave, like you pointing that out too, um, I think it's so interesting. So in prep for this episode, I was doing a little bit of research and one article, um, which I don't know if like it's discussed in your district or what, you know, if teachers feel as though I, like, I personally feel like the education system and teachers are being targeted and attacked for what they can teach. And, you know, especially we're in black history month right now. So, you know, critical race theory is really important. And I think for many people too, we're just asking for like an accurate history of the United States. And so I did some research and these are some of the states um, and things happening where they're limiting what teachers can teach. So it, I read in Florida, a bill would ban teachers from saying racial colorblindness is racist. In South Carolina, a bill would ban teaching that equity is a concept that is superior to or supplants the concept of equality. In New Hampshire, promoting a negative account or representation of the founding and history of the United States of America could become illegal if a bill if this bill were passed. And in at least 10 states, legislators have proposed bills that require administrators to list every book, reading, and activity that teachers use in their lessons. Um, so I guess that the parents can be aware and probably go in and say, I don't want you to teach my kid that. Yeah, I, th I think all the way around, those are all, and I know that there's currently, I can't remember the state, but uh, someplace in the Midwest where there was a bill introduced this week that would, that would uh, fine teachers up to $10,000 per event for violating certain things that, that the state law um, didn't allow teachers to do. It was a $10,000 per event. Now, teachers don't make that much. I could blow the first 10000 or $100,000 my entire salary in one day. Um, I'm sure teachers in the Midwest <laughs> probably make less money than that. And they might be done after a couple hours and they're going negative in their income for the year. And I think it's just, I mean, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. Um, you should trust the teachers you've hired. And if the teachers make a mistake, there's a way that can, that can be corrected. Or if you have a disagreement with the teacher administratively, you can address that. But just to wholesale say, we're no longer going to do this. When the truth is, we haven't ever done it. The right history has not uh, been taught across most of the United States in, our, in the history of education. We've taught a very white history, a very male history, and now that a little bit of, of alternative history or the other side is being taught, all of a sudden there's a big backlash. You know, there wasn't a huge backlash over the, you know, the last 90 to 100 years of public education. But when the, when the power doesn't like what's getting taught, that's where we're having the reaction today. And so uh, it's on all sorts of issues from race to sexuality to gender identity, um, all across the board. Um, and that's what they're that's what they're looking to do. 
So Dave, um, for, for your birthday, this past December, you actually asked for a very particular gift. You asked for an LGBTQ flag. Can you tell us why you wanted that as a birthday present? And then when you received that gift, because I did in fact get it for you, um, what has been your experience after having hung it up in your classroom? So first, why'd you ask for it? And then second off, what has been your experience once you hung it up in your classroom? Well, I have always had things hung up to make all students feel accepted in a classroom because that's what classrooms are supposed to be. If all people aren't accepted, people can't learn in that environment. Uh, and the inclusion of one doesn't equal the exclusion of another. And so I've had things that indicate pretty subtle things. Like I, I can remember this winter being at a craft show and we went to a booth at this craft show specifically because they had the human rights watch sign up on the up on their booth and we saw it and said we're going to this guy just because that was there so i've had one of their stickers up in my room and people know what that is and it makes them feel more comfortable and that's really why i wanted it and the other the other reason is there's a teacher and again, my memory is not real great on places and times. It should be as a history teacher, but I'm not so great. Um, and a, a teacher was, um, he wasn't terminated. He terminated himself. He quit his job because the district was, was forcing him to take down um, a flag, a pride flag that he had hung up in his, it was a middle school teacher. He had hung up in his room um, to, again, make his room inclusive, not exclusive. And um, I wanted to press the issue. So I have now three flags up and I'm trying to, you know, draw fire. I want people to say, take them down. And, and then I wanna make it a big deal. No one has so far. And, and students for the most part really appreciate it uh, because it, it, they now know it's an inclusive room and not every place is inclusive. And some students will make comments like, oh, what are you gonna do now? I've also had a ribbon um, up in my room, a rainbow ribbon up that I think also shows students um, that when that's on display, they, feel, they just feel safer. And I think that's the goal of every teacher is to make all students feel safe in the classroom. Well, and I think that's like so important because I, I also be for you being a high school teacher, you know, that's when kids are so developmental and coming into their own and, you know, really like the questions of what is my sexuality, I think start to become apparent. And I think we all know the American education system is not so great about teaching kids different kinds of sexuality beyond monogamous, um, opposite cis hetero relationships. But I like love that you have that up and I was actually just today so there's a there's a teacher on TikTok he's a pre-k teacher um, and his name is Mr. Williams and Mr. Williams is a gay man and he like paints his nails and so he makes all these videos about being a pre-k teacher who's outwardly gay openly gay and like I just think that must be so great for so many people to see that representation that I know I never saw when I was in grade school and I think grade school to high school, middle school, whatever the grade is to college, I think it that students, parents are thinking, well, this can't be appropriate for a kid that's in pre-K or kindergarten. Kids, kids that age will adjust. They'll, they'll stop asking questions um, when it's over their head. And I think they see the flag up there. It's a, it's a rainbow colored flag. It may mean nothing to them. Nobody's having a discussion about it, but someone may know what it is. And if the question gets asked, you answer questions until the students no longer ask questions about it. And that's how you know that you're getting above their developmental level is the questions stop. And then you can say, okay, maybe beyond this isn't appropriate for this level. And I think that's people that think that they shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't be in a middle school. That's exactly where it should be is in a middle school, because that's when most people start to deal um, with them needing acceptance for who they are as a person. So Dave, are you surprised that there was no challenge to the pride flag and, and other, um, other 
pride flags and ribbons and, and stickers you said, as you said, that you have in your room, one, just sort of on its own, but two, in light of the fact that there, there has been a, a call in your school district for banning some books that are talking about um, sexuality, homosexuality, transsexuality, sexuality other than heterosexuality in the school library? Yeah, I think that, I think, like I said earlier, our school district is very, um, tends to be very open to um, providing students with education. Um, and they're not, I, I don't think it's going to be a problem. I was more looking to have it become a problem with the parent group than I was our school administration. Because I, in general, feel very supported by our administration. And I don't think all teachers are that lucky. I think in a lot of cases, they aren't supported. Or when they get pressure, the pressure will cave. And that's what I, will cave the administrator. And that's sort of what I was thinking. And I know that they have had members of our community come speak to, to school board meetings and talk about the books. Should, well, they didn't even read the books. Because the, the books aren't uh, what they propose them to be and what they state them to be. Uh, one of the books is a child's book about um, uh, a boy with two fathers. And there is nothing inappropriate in that book other than the fact that the boy, to some people, that the boy has two fathers. I have two students in my classes now that have two fathers. And that book is something that would make that kid feel as though it's not different for him to have two fathers and he can read the book. Another child may look at it and not want to read it or look at it and say, oh, this I have a mother and father and you have two fathers. Oh, well, that's not that strange. I read this book about it. And I think that we just have to get to the point where it's not even an issue. Uh, it's not, and, and, and their, their argument that there's sexuality and there's sexual content. I mean, you look at some of the things that we have them read, Romeo and Juliet is a case of, <laughs> you know, an adult having sex with a, they, the English teacher that shares a classroom with me was playing a little bit of that film and they read the, the play. It has, I mean, it's clearly an adult having a sexual relationship with a child, but I'm that's pretty sure okay. In high read. school, we, we did like, we read the Oedipus play too, which oh, sure. has yeah. the concept of you know, create this whole psychological concept too of one being like sexually attracted to their mother or then like wanting to sexually fantasize women as their mother. And I'm pretty sure we read that in high school and nobody seemed yeah. to be upset about that. No, because it's, it's heterosexual. And I think that that's part of our issue. If you can get down to why are we really objecting to this? Are we objecting to it be because of the content or are we objecting to it because they don't like the, the, the display. And I think we all know that you aren't going to, they've tried it over and over and over again to make people gay or to make people straight. And it doesn't work very well. I mean, it, it just doesn't work. Society has tried it for centuries. It, it fails every time. And so you can't turn a child that's heterosexual, anything other than heterosexual. So I don't know why parents are concerned their child isn't gonna to go to school as a nice heterosexual boy and come home as a gay boy. It's not gonna happen. He's gonna to go to school as, a, as what he comes home from school as. It's just how you're born. And I, I think that once people can get that, maybe we'll be better off. Do you think, so I feel like one of the things that I've realized that I, I think is so interesting about parents like wanting to shelter their kids is that they also think that their kids don't know the stuff already. And I think nowadays with social media and like the internet, kids are way more educated than they were at my time and like how these issues are coming to light. And then also I think it's interesting how parents think that their kids aren't gonna find it out one day. Like I remember in my women's history course, it was like um, in college and we were reading a book about um, one of George Washington's slaves who had escaped and she was a woman. And I remember raising my hand and being like, I didn't know that there were slaves in Philadelphia. And my teacher was like, what? Like, didn't you go to school outside there? I'm like, yeah, they never taught us that. The rhetoric was always like, 
Philadelphia in the north where the founding fathers were like no slaves. Meanwhile, like George Washington, like the rule was if you had a slave in Philadelphia for more than three months, they were free. So George Washington would keep his slaves up until like almost the three month mark, send them back to his plantation in Virginia, wait a month and then bring them back. And so it was like that narrative. I was like, yeah, we never learned that. They never taught us that. And of course now it's like very apparent of whitewashed history. So do you think, I don't know, like, do you think your students maybe know more than people like have in the past? And then your thoughts too, I guess on like, they're going to figure it out. <laughs> like they're going to get yeah. a reality check somewhere along the line. And some, the truth is some of them never will. Um, but I think as I was thinking about the idea of, of book banning and that, um, and history being what you're taught, um, and what they have in their hand every day is a cell phone. And while we're concerned about books and in a library, we can't get students to read things that we want them to read, let alone some book that's on a shelf in a library somewhere. They're definitely not reading that. And it, if they did, I would be excited that they're picking up a book and reading it. That's a, that would be a, like an amazing accomplishment. And as a teacher of the humanities, that would be great. But they, they have a cell phone in their hand almost all the time. What is on a cell phone? Access to the internet. They could be in my class watching porn and any type of porn they want. And I have no control over that because their parents have issued them an endless book of pornography. And they're complaining about a book of Romeo and Juliet or, you know, a boy with two, five, whatever. And they're, they're worried about that, but they give their their children, you know, a billion pages of pornography on their phone. And if you said to the parents, well, we should restrict cell phone use. Oh no, we can't do that. We can't take their cell phones away. I might have an emergency during the day where I need to come. So we're gonna let them have the pornography in their hand, but we're gonna complain about a book about two fathers. And I, I think it's just, um, it's pretty outrageous to think about. So if you are thinking about going down the route of banning books with anything inappropriate in them, cell phones should certainly be checked at a school door and not allowed in the school, as is all technology. No computers should be allowed in. Um, and let's go back to old school education. And then we'll, after that's done, then the book about a boy with two fathers can come out of the library. Then I'm, <laughs> then I'm satisfied. <laughs> but you don't really mean that because you actually would not stand for that book being removed from the no, library. So. If it gets removed from the library, I'm going to throw a fit. But I've actually purchased it because if they if they remove it, I'm re-gifting it to them. And I have it coming. I ordered it, you know, and, and I went through when I saw the list and it's a group, it's a nationwide effort to do this. And it's a it's essentially a talking point to try and attack those that are in power in many school boards in many places around our country. The Republican Party has seen the Democratic Party take over. They don't like it. And they're trying to figure out ways to tug at people to get them to support their party. And one of the successful things that they believe, and it, it has been successful, look at Virginia, is it's been successful at, at getting, to, getting to, to parents and say, this party, the Democratic Party, is hurting our children by allowing them to, them to read such pornography. And it's been successful. So I was really, um, first off, I'm, I'm shocked that we have people advocating for, for book banning where we live. Uh, you know, to, to think that we're surrounded by, by, by people who would be so small and narrowly minded um, was a shock, but I don't really know why I was a shock because we recently had a big battle in our community um, in which Dave, Annika, Vim, and I were very much at the forefront along with students and others to change the mascot and the sports team name from the Radnor Raider and an Indian head or Indian imagery mascot to something that was not racist and was not offensive to Native American communities. And, and we and were ultimately me. successful. Um, but, you know, it was really shocking at how dedicated to maintaining this racist mascot name and imagery 
the people of our community were, including people who didn't live there anymore, but had grown up there. Um, and just wondering, you know, that that's also in significant part, a national movement come local. Did the kind of uh, racist arguments or ignorance of the, the harmful impact of that kind of name and imagery, did that come back into the classroom? And if it did, was it a message from the students or a message from the parents? What do you think? Um, it's, it's pretty interesting. I think students um, in general, when we were talking about the Raider concept, I think students in general like to keep what they have and they don't wanna change. They think it's cool. They like it. They don't know what something else would be and they wanna keep it. And, you know, so that, I mean, I think that's in general, that would be the case because they just don't like change. They're only in high school for four years and changing something in their four years seems like it's, you know, it's not, um, they wouldn't necessarily support it outright. If you explain to them the reasons, they do get it and they can hear it. And I haven't received much pushback in the classroom and it, it's gonna slowly, everybody knows who I am and what I supported. And I'm open to listening to the other arguments um, for the name. And, and there was a group, there are a group of people at the beginning of our, of our fight that wanted to keep the name and just get rid of the mascot. And that may have been acceptable at one point, but they were so, um, I don't even know what to say, so zealous in, in keeping both that it made it impossible to keep the name Raider because they were so insistent upon keeping both that I just don't think it would ever work to get rid of one without the other. And I think students have a tough time hearing that argument. Um, I know this argument goes on all over the country and I know there are school districts that have actually gotten rid of it then added it back. I know Twin Valley um, is currently considering it and they have a board meeting and I believe some native um, Native Americans are coming in from uh, Oklahoma to speak. They're actually flying in to speak at their board meeting because everybody's claim always is, oh, no Native Americans object. Where are the Native Americans? Well, they're bringing Native Americans in to say, yes, this is offensive to us. Well, and I just thought it was interesting too with the rad narrator, because I think too, for the longest time, like you were just saying, like with like how the students feel about it, there was a point where the parents who were pro keeping the mascot or community members are pro were like let the students vote this should be up to the students you know like they were giving all their but like let's let the students vote and so then I don't know why it took so long for that to finally happen and then after like a year year and a half the school finally was like okay like here's all the options and they gave the kids this long powerpoint you know and they're like so vote and guess what the kids did not vote for <laughs> was Raider they picked so now they're the Radnor Raptors they picked a bird a falcon whatever it is it's cool and that's what the kids picked and then of course the argument immediately went to well but not all the kids voted not not everyone voted and it's just like well I'm sorry that you didn't instill the pillars of democracy in your children that if you <laughs> if you don't vote you don't get heard but that sounds like a problem but I just like I don't think too like parents give their kids I think especially in these scenarios like give their kids enough credit, especially when their kids maybe diverge from what they wanted that like, I don't know, maybe your kid actually did see that this was racist and realize like, doesn't hurt me to get a new mascot, but it sure hurts a lot of people to keep the current one. So I think the, the idea of parents not giving themselves, giving their kids the credit, when you look at any issue dealing with school, they don't, I think they truly do believe in their kids. And that maybe it's that they're using it as an excuse or I'm not even sure what it is. But when you talk about like some of the race and racism issues and um, hearing a teacher's political point of view, do you not believe that a high school student has their own brain and is going to be able to make decisions on their own? Have you talked to a high school student lately? I mean, they definitely are going to have their opinions. They are definitely going to share it. And they are not going to worry that it disagrees with their teacher. I mean, that's, that's the primary, that's, that's a lot of the good of it. And I think we worry today about too much about, um, about how, um, 
you know, we don't speak politically well and there's too much back and forth and one side can't talk to the other. Well, maybe that's because people aren't sharing their political views in the classroom. And if we shared them and showed how you have a respectful disagreement and uh, a respectful conversation about something, maybe these students would come out knowing more about it. And I have full faith in students not coming into the classroom, being able to share their own opinions and believe what they want to believe without me having this horrible, terrible influence on them. But the, the truth of it is, they don't like the fact that the true history is now being taught in some cases because they don't agree with it because they're racist. And they can't admit to themselves that they're a racist. And so they don't like that. They don't like the fact that we're, and why are we teaching black history just during black history month? Why isn't it part of American history? Which seems ridiculous. We need to teach it all year round. And it seems like a lot of people were okay with just teaching about black people during you know, a 28 day month, but they're not okay with it being taught year round, especially when it might make their white privileged children feel bad. And I think we just need to get over that and talk about what really happened. And the students are going to be smart enough to figure it out. Talking about white privilege, I have to say on the on the 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 Raider debate, for lack of a better word, you know, it was really shocking when finally there was a resolution and there was a selection through a very long, drawn out. Um, robust process where there was a lot of hostility from those who wanted to maintain this um, hurtful name and imagery. It was quite shocking that once the term or the name Raptors was chosen, that we then had this false narrative that by selecting the term Raptor, we were harming women who had been um, the victims of sexual assault or sexual abuse because raptors actually meant rapists. And so now we were naming the children of the township rapists by selecting raptor and a, a bird as the new mascot and imagery. And we heard that very um, forthrightly advocated for by parents, but we also heard some students come up and uh, really truthfully spew that hateful rhetoric because that is so harmful to women who are the subject of sexual assault to misuse that horrifying experience to try to advocate against a bird as a mascot in order to replace a hurtful racist name and mascot was quite shocking. Just wondering if while we did see some students go forth at a public meeting and carry forth that rhetoric. Did any of that carry into the classroom? Not really. I think that people realize that that was a ridiculous argument. And I, some people may believe it. If they do, our, our doctorate of Latin who spoke at our school board meeting certainly got that straight, that there, there is a root word of raptor, the raptus that, that has a Latin source but it also has a source for 130 other words. And so the derivation of the word raptor is not rape. I mean, it just isn't, it's not accurate. And I think that's what we're finding so much in, in you know, politics today is people are taking these words or taking things that they can grab onto that they think that they can sell to people who only listen for 30 seconds. And that's an easy one to get. Oh. Raptor means rapist and we're rapists now. Okay, well, I can repeat that a hundred times and I can tell everybody I know that we got rid of the raider, but now we're the rapists. And that's easy for people to remember. And I think that's sort of where we are. We're in the soundbite time where if you can get it in in 30 seconds, people are going to pick it up and the news bites. And you just, one of the things that I, I love to do with students is say to them, when they say, like I, I was arguing with a student yesterday um, about, this is, the student came to see me, we were standing in the cafeteria just talking and he was arguing and trying to make some points about, I, I don't even remember what the issue was, but um, he was giving me talking points that were from Fox News. And I just said to him, give me some details about that. 
he was saying that immigration was so wrong and it's ruining the country was actually the topic. And I said, well, let's hear some details about that. There's no detail behind it. So he's actually hearing the talking points, either from parents or from the news. And I said, what's your source? What's your news source for this? And he couldn't provide one. Well, that's not good learning. So I said to him, go find us some, go find some sources and then come back to me and we can have the discussion. But until you have a source, and I think that's our problem, is the sourcing isn't there. And there's so much bad information out. And there's so much inaccuracy in podcasts and in, um, in our textbooks, you know, from textbooks to the internet to everything. There's so much poor information that um, students just get misinformed. Well, and I just also thought, <laughs> like, you know, with the definition of raptor and the yeah. Latin, 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 deep, deep Latin root that nobody uses, um, when it was presented to them, you know, when they were talking about, well, let's just pick a different mascot, but keep the name. And they brought up um, the Las Vegas Raiders, I think, have a pirate. And, that, and then I remember seeing a comment that was like, you know, pirates are like notorious for pillaging and raping. And, you know, and then like, here's some other very violent definitions of Raider. And the argument was like, no, but that's not how anyone else sees it that's not how you read it or that's not how anyone reads the word. And so, uh, so it's like, again, this rhetoric of like, when it doesn't serve, when reality doesn't serve you, you choose to not partake. And that's just not how the world is. And I like, I'm so tired too of like, I think when they say to you and they say to teachers, like you're not allowed to share your opinion when it comes to things like critical race theory or supporting LGBTQIA students, it's like, well, it's not opinions. It's the fact of the world. Like critical race theory is not your opinion about United States. It's what actually happened. And this whole, you know, rhetoric too. Like I remember when I was part of a group in college that was diversity peer educators. And we talked to students about um, really important issues like white privilege, um, dealing with uh, male privilege. I'm thinking of all the privileges, but also like we would talk about um, segregation and how like we have systemic um, racism still going on and like things in education, like all the topics that encompass, you know, being a very good human being and being able to be an ally to your fellow person, we would cover. And I had a student who said to me, like, I don't like talking about white privilege because you're making me feel bad just because I was born white, because I have this thing called privilege that I didn't choose. And I remember saying to them, and I remember saying it to the school board too, I was like, you shouldn't you can feel bad that it exists because it's wrong that any person should have a better stand in society just because of the skin color. But I'm like, you should be using it and the education that we're giving you to stand up for people and understand that, yeah, you have white privilege. And when you walk in a room, people are more likely to listen to you. And then you can say, but actually you need to be listening to my BIPOC colleague. Actually, like I'm going to be here to stand up and use that to push the people forward that deserve to have their voices heard that haven't been heard for so long. And that's why I think it's so sad about trying to shut down this information and access to students is that American education system is denying them the ability to create a better world and slowing it down because you don't learn about this stuff until you get to college. Like, I don't think I fully encompassed how racist our society was until I finished college because my former education failed me because we didn't talk about it because God forbid. Yeah, and I do, I mean, I spend a lot of time talking about it. And I haven't, I don't really get criticized from, I do from some parents and I know other people I teach with have had parents come after them um, and have had to spend hours in meetings with parents trying to explain why they're doing. And it can be intimidating because no one wants their job to become difficult and you're doing your job, you enjoy it, but to have to second guess yourself every time something comes up or you have something that you want to use with students and you have to worry about what is a parent going to think what is a parent going to do how many meetings am i going to have after i do this in the classroom and teachers shouldn't have to deal with that and there needs to be trust going back and forth and i know there's a lot like it's the parent's choice and you know but it really is society's choice and it's a school board's choice. And if people don't like the school board, they can vote them out. And it's a school board's choice as to what happens in a public school. 
the community is paying for it, and the school board is who represents the community. And if the school board agrees with it, the problem is some school boards don't agree with it. And I think that's what has to be dealt with. What do you do if you're a student of color and you're in a school, school district that doesn't agree that we should teach an inclusive history? What happens then? There was that, what, what is that really powerful South Lake, right? That really powerful yeah. podcast. Yeah. I think anybody listening, um, that is a podcast that's well worth um, listening to. It's just a, a, a number of episodes and it really is about how a community began off um, experiencing racist behavior, seemed to be on a positive path to address it, and then had that effort to in a positive way address the problem had it totally taken over and this whole community really the racists came out and they took over they took over and basically from where i was sitting listening to that podcast they destroyed that community they destroyed those kids they destroyed families and um and it's really horrifying so i think that that's a but i wanted to ask you you know i was listening um to the radio the other the other night dave and they were talking about how when kids are taught about the holocaust that how there's scientific research to demonstrate that they are more they are more empathetic and concerned about their fellow humans about society about moral goodness like there's there they're really positive ramifications for children who learn about that horrifying part of history and as a result are better positioned to make sure that we never experience it again and yet the percentages are very high that children are not being taught about the holocaust in many schools and of course just like with critical race theory or teaching, you know, set aside critical race theory, just talk about teaching the true history when it comes to how Black people have been treated in our society. Um, that now there is a pushback on schools who are teaching about the Holocaust and actually wanting teachers to teach the quote unquote other side what is the other side of the Holocaust, Dave? Do you teach the Holocaust? And what's your experience with all this? So the fortunate thing in Pennsylvania is the Holocaust is required um, to be taught to 10th graders in uh, state regulations. So our students have it. Now, the unfortunate part is none of, there is no Black history that's required education. Um, but there is no other side to the Holocaust. I mean, you might be, there are people that have written books about it, but there's nothing I would, I would teach to students, but I, in a, in a positive way, but I would say there's a guy from Northwestern University. Uh, his name is David Butts. He wrote, he wrote a book called the hoax, the greatest hoax of the 20th century, which is a Holocaust denying book. And so he can make his argument there and he's wrong. Um, but he can make the argument. I use it to say that people have actually done this and how terrible is that? And people believe what this guy is writing and that makes it even worse. But there is no other side to that issue. There is no other side to systemic racism. There just isn't. And I know people want there to be, but because you want there to be doesn't mean that there is. And I think that's the, the idea that there's always this there's one side and then there's the other side and then there, there's the compromise in between. There is no compromise for an event like the Holocaust. There is no compromise for an event like the Armenian genocide, which took place in the, in the uh, early 1900s. There, there's no other side for that. And there's no other side for the genocide of Native Americans. There is no other side. Um, and I think we just have to um, address it that way. And while you might have people that push back for one reason or another, you have to, you have to show through firsthand accounts that there is no other side. And I and think can that, I just say, that's what's really important. There is no other side 
about environmental pollution and degradation being wrong in overwhelming communities, that environmental justice, well, environmental racism and environmental injustice is a real thing. Just bringing it back for us to well, the environment, just I like have all to those say, topics. Yes. For an education topic, here we go. So today in, in class, this may get me in trouble, I'm waiting for it. Um, but we were talking about, um, about death and things that cause death and whether it's right or wrong. And when you look at things, things that people died from, and then you look at something like we were talking about Al Capone. He's a, the gangster of the 1920s. Alcohol was made illegal. He made all this money off of alcohol and he killed a lot of people, right? So he's a bad man. But an oil and gas company is not a bad man. They're not a bad entity. And how many people have the oil and gas industry killed? They, they are risking the lives of probably 50 million people who are in low-lying areas in, in, off the Bay of Bengal. Their lives could end as, as sea level rises. And so the oil and gas company is not responsible for that, but we're going to send Al Capone to jail for the rest of his life. And I'm not saying Al Capone is a good person, but we need to. So why is it that that's considered? Why is it that they won't that that they're not considered murderers? And we know that they've killed people. We know that the oil and gas industry has done that. And why are they considered one thing? But John Dillinger is considered another. And I just thought that was a really interesting point from today. So on that note, um... People should go check. It'll be back in the annals of Green Amendments for the Generation social media history at this point. But actually, our Green Amendment movement um, has been attacked by folks associated with the Koch brothers. So, <laughs> which, if you don't um, know them, they're multimillionaire rich brothers who fund alt right groups for the most part, and they have their deep pockets in oil and gas in oil and gas. And that is who was coming out um, attacking our efforts to get constitutional environmental rights for people <laughs> because it was going to hurt the oil and gas. Their industry. argument used a whopping 22 seconds. It's all they needed <laughs> and it was not good. <laughs> so you will want to go back, go to Green Amendments for the Generations, go onto our social media um, Twitter site and look for that. Uh, maybe Annika will bring it back up a couple of times because it really is very striking that we certainly in our Green Amendment movement have um, caught the attention of the industrial operators. And they have not only come out in public comment against us, but there are legislators who unabashedly have gotten up on the floor of state legislatures saying that people should not have a constitutional right to clean water and clean air because it's going to hurt the oil and gas industry. It's going to reduce their profits. Um, and as a result, all of society will suffer, they claim, in some way or another. Of course, as you, you know, ignoring what you've just said, Dave, which is actually all of society, including future generations, are suffering because of how the oil and gas um, companies are operating here in the US and really worldwide. And we wanna make sure we get people out of masks because they're so harmful to children, but we're not worried about the oil and gas industry and driving our SUV to school every day that's hurting our children. You know, it just is the, the inability to see that is just crazy. I, I don't understand it, but I guess that's not my job. Well, I was going to say, is it, does this kind of stuff get taught in high school? Are we, I you know, true environmental um, no. facts and history? There is very, 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 and that's part of our problem. There's very little environmental history that's taught. And the environment takes us, I mean, people may mention it with Teddy Roosevelt. They may mention something. Um, that's about it. No, it's completely disregarded. When you deal in, deal with industrialization, no one other than myself have bring up anything environmentally um, connected to, to that. Nobody views like the 100 years or 120 years of the oil and gas industry as being devastating to our country. They view the fact that we're using it now. We can't stop because people are getting wealthy from it. And uh, 
you know, the rest of us are all going to suffer in the end. And not just people in the United States, people worldwide. And there are people that aren't using fuel, but they're, they're going to end up getting harmed by our use of fuel. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, it just doesn't get taught. So students don't, they know less about the environment than they do any other issue as they're brought up. Is that why I walk into um, your classroom, not your classroom, into the school? I know it actually doesn't happen in your classroom because you pluck them out. But uh, I'm so shocked when I walk into the school and I see all the plastic bottles thrown into the trash can. Yeah, well, I have, I have cafeteria duty and we use styrofoam trays. We don't even use plastic trays anymore. We use styrofoam trays. They're about two feet by 18 inches. And we, every student gets one every day. And it's just, we don't use paper plates. We use styrofoam plates. And it's just, it, it's, un, the waste is unbelievable. And, you know, and then you, you think we're complaining about students being in a mask, but we're giving them food on styrofoam. I, I mean, it, it just is, um, the, it's very hard to, to understand the perspective of people. And I, I think people just can't deal with um, the environment. People need, need things that are today. And if, if it's not today, right in front of them, how am I gonna get to school? I'm gonna get in my big SUV that gets seven miles to the gallon and I'm gonna drive to school because I have to get to school. And they're not thinking how that, that seven miles per gallon is gonna impact the future of people. And that it can be done a different way. You know, it can be, this can be done a different way. And we're just choosing not to do that. And people that usually do that in history don't end up well. So as a history teacher, I would like to get, um, I'm hoping that we end on a hopeful note, but I'm not so sure. So <laughs> oh, <goodness. laughs> politics, scary stuff, the all of democracy, being undermined, being stripped away by the kinds of things that we're talking about, about um, lies, right? And people um, ignoring the truth and you know, just restating their lies and trying to mobilize against the right of people to have equal access to vote. And you know, we're just seeing all of the, and, and we're not seeing, um, we're not seeing key leaders who have the opportunity to protect voting rights, standing up for them, uh, AKA Senator Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, right? Who continue to throw us all under the bus, left, right, and center. So can I just ask you as a history teacher, is this an unprecedented time? Are we screwed? Or have there been other points in history when people felt as concerned about the future of democracy as so many of us do right now and yet the country survived did you say you wanted to end on a happy note and then you brought that up um if you i'll give you the truthful answer and it's not a nice answer um i think there are probably other times in history where we've struggled but i think as ben franklin said he viewed the constitution as a 20-year document we've had it for you know a long time now um in my my belief is that the constitution is no longer a viable document. And the people of the United States need to demand um, a constitutional convention and we need to rewrite the entire constitution because it is at this point fundamentally flawed um, in our representation, how they become our representation. And it just, it, the system doesn't work. It works for 0.01% of us. Because believe it or not, the, the three of us don't make a lot of money. But do you know that we're in the top 5% of earners in this country? And we don't, you know, we don't live a fancy life, but we're up there. Think about the people that aren't where we are and they have no power. And that's just not in a democracy. That's in a, a Republican, a it's just not right. And there's, I don't know that it can be fixed without scrapping the whole document. 
and starting over. You can start with the basic framework that we have, but the terms, um, the representation has to be changed because we're not truly representing people. And I can go on and on about gerrymandering and all sorts of things, uh, but there just isn't representation um, for the people that live in the United States. There's representation for the extremely wealthy and that's where it stops. And that's your problem with the oil and gas industry and the Koch brothers running everything. The Koch brothers should not have more of a vote than I do, but they do. And you know, some people on the other side will say, well, they're wealthy, they deserve it, they've earned it. And I just don't think that's true. And I, I think that our constitution should represent everyone. And I really don't believe it does. And I don't know until, I don't know that it, it functionally can at this point because of where we are. That's pretty depressing, isn't it? Okay, so I'm gonna do a book plug and then I'm gonna turn it over to the ever positive <laughs> Annika Van Rossum, who always puts a positive twist at the end of uh, even the darkest of conversations. But I've got first, a good my one. plug. Oh, I've good. got a good one. Okay, so the book is just speaking to what um, Dave was talking about, how people with money are, uh, at least by the conservatives, are viewed as being more entitled. They earned it, and you know, even if they were born with it and they didn't earn a penny. Um, so Don't Think Like an Elephant by George Lakoff. Don't Think Like an Elephant. It's not a very long book, but the, the, the thoughtfulness that goes into it and about the differences between um, major political parties and how the conservative party peddles its bullshit um, and how the liberal um, wing of, it's not really the conservative party, it's conservatives, and how the, the liberal wing, how they try so hard to be reasonable all the time <laughs> um, and hold everybody. We're gonna, with that, we're gonna thank our teacher, Dave Wood, for joining us um, so that I can turn it over to Annika. Unless you wanna stay, Dave, and hear Annika's and I, inspirational words. I She's do. really good at it, man. Yeah, I wanna listen, but I also um, wanna thank you for having me and hope that nothing that I said today will get me fired, um, but that's just the way it is. I'm not gonna be silenced by people that wanna go after people for saying what they believe. Well, I think we're probably going to have you back because, you, you know, we we opened up some doors that we didn't really walk through. Um, and so Teacher Dave will be back um, down the line. So thanks for joining us, Teacher Dave. Uh, Annika, please save us. <laughs> um, I did actually just want to point out, in case you do not come across on our social media, the quote by um, the Koch brothers or a representative from the Koch brothers, we'll say, um, because I think it's important that people understand and again, when facts don't serve people, they don't want to use facts. They want to make up a reality. They want to use their opinion. And I think that's what really is going on in this country was trying to not teach people about like the reality of, of sexuality, the realities of the history of the United States, the realities of, like you just said, Dave, how our constitution was not made to benefit literally 95% of the population has been secluded by our constitution. And so I just really thought it was important because this guy from the Koch brothers had a full minute to do testimony. A minute might sound like, not like a lot, but a lot of people did actually use their minute fully and good for you guys, even though your research was also flawed for the people in opposition, but good for you. You stole a minute. He took 22 seconds and his 22 seconds consisted of introducing himself saying, I'm a registered lobbyist for Americans for Progress. And he said, on behalf of thousands of activists across New Mexico, we oppose HJR2, Green Amendment, for reasons already stated and ask you vote no. Thank you for your time. Number one, we also have thousands of activists and I doubt you do. But anyways, number two, you couldn't even take the time to come up with one fact, dude, like one fact. You couldn't try to do one talking point. You couldn't try to do anything you said for all the reasons stated above. So I'm also gonna guess you came with absolutely nothing. And so to the people across this nation, to the Koch brothers, the big industry that wants to poison our planet, poison our youth, people trying to take down democracy and for everyone who's trying to not let people be allies to each other and make our world a better place that we can all be inclusive in, 
bring it on. That's my positive thing. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Get active. And of course, if you're following Green Jeans, listen to more episodes, share them, encourage people to follow us. You follow us. Um, if you if you actually want to get active, right, on some of the things that we talk about, two great organizations you can um, join and learn how to get active, Green Amendments for the Generations.org and DelawareRiverkeeper.org. So if you want to be involved in the national movement to get constitutional protection of your rights to clean water and clean air, a stable climate and healthy environments, it's for the generations.org. And if you want to get active to fight for the beautiful Delaware River, it's DelawareRiverkeeper.org. Thank you, Mr. Wood, Teacher Wood, for joining us. Thank you, Annika, for the encouragement for people to rise to the challenge and stand with us against the Koch brothers and the oil and gas industry. And with that, we'll see you next time.